Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're very similar. They're more historical, if you will. John changes a bit, and uh, it, it, it's not always chronological. So just in case you're looking through the book of John and you're like, man, those stories don't, don't match up. Uh, the Bible's not wrong. John chose not to necessarily write chronologically, but instead John would, would group uh, basically John's miracles that he recorded. There's miracles in John that you don't find anywhere else. John recorded miracles that, that kind of prove the point of what he wanted to say at that moment. And so you have a lot of, you know, the, that, that Jesus is the light of the world. You have, you know, the power of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus. He kind of goes through that. And there's a lot of incredible discourses that take place in the book of John. And today I want to look at one, John chapter 4. Let's uh, start with verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I don't believe that the Bible has any idle words contained in it. And if the Bible says you got to worship Him in spirit and truth, then no matter what translation you read that in, no matter how you exegete it out, it means you got to worship Him in spirit and in truth. If the Bible says later on you got to be baptized in the water and baptized in the spirit, it meant exactly that. you got to be baptized in the water and spirit. Uh, and so I want to talk to you a little bit about what it means to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Why don't you lift your hands and ask the word of the Lord to speak to our hearts. Father, we love you today. And God, we know that not only do we hear your voice and we feel the touch of your presence on our life, but God, even in the word of God, I pray that you would let my heart, my mind, my soul be receptive to the word. If there's things in there I may not understand, would you show me? Would you let me receive it, understand it, I pray. Help my understanding in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. You may uh, be seated, if you will. I... In in all of our in, in all of our our things, there are there are words that I feel every once in a while need to be addressed. They need to be explained. They need to be re-evaluated uh, because sometimes you 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 hear a word and you've heard it all of your life, and you kind of know what it means, but you really don't. You ever been there? Uh, I remember, and, and I don't know why this reminds me of it, but I love to read, and as a kid, I would read voraciously. Um, I would read a, about a book a day uh, as a kid, and even as a young person, uh, I held records in my school for the most books that were that were read. When I was in high school, I would go to the library in the morning. I'd uh, pick out a novel, and I would read it probably to the chagrin of my grades, but I would read it all through school, go home, read it, and bring it back and get a new one the next day. I love to read, but you know, sometimes you see a word and you've never heard that word, or at least you've never put the 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 way you see that word with the word you've heard. And I remember trying to pronounce words and then realize I was pronouncing them way wrong. When you finally hear how they're supposed to be pronounced. Um for example, let me give you we my wife and I, we were driving back from the youth retreat yesterday. We were talking about this. There were some other uh, young people in the car that had to be back. And, and we got talking about, do you know what the word prodigal means? 
We always look at the word prodigal, the prodigal son, the son that backslid and came home, if you will. But prodigal has nothing to do with the word backsliding. It has nothing to do with leaving the father. That's not what the word prodigal means. Go look it up in the dictionary. The word prodigal means lavish or extravagant. And so the reason we talk about the prodigal son is because he extravagantly lived and lavishly spent his money and then he didn't have any. But what's cool about learning that word, and and not just kind of assuming, but really what does it mean? It means that the father also was a prodigal. Because the father lavishly and extravagantly gave mercy, grace, and love when he didn't have to. Sometimes words are pretty interesting. Um, our, Our sign out there, it says... The lighthouse, and then underneath it, it says a united Pentecostal church. Pentecost. Other words such as apostolic, and both of those words have some similar meanings, but they are not the same word. You you can't use apostolic and Pentecostal. You can't use them, if you will, interchangeably because they do mean two entirely separate things. Pentecost is the experience that happened on the day of Pentecost. When they began to speak with other tongues, they were filled with His Spirit. That is Pentecost. And so you can be Pentecost and, 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 and have a lot of other things. There's Pentecostal Catholics. There's Pentecostal Lutherans. There's Pentecostal Methodists. There's, there's a lot of people that have experienced Pentecost. So when I say I'm Pentecostal, what I am repre- referring to is that I have experienced what they experienced on the day of Pentecost. I have received the gift of the Holy Ghost. How do I know it? Because I did it just like Peter did it. I spoke with other tongues. I could could go right now to New Life Church there in Bridgeton, Missouri, where I was attending church, eight years old. I could go exactly to the same spot because I don't think they've changed the the way their platform has been configured since uh, the, the early 80s. And I could show you exactly where I was when I, at eight years old, began to pray and I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I remember it vividly. It's one of the most vivid memories that I have in my life the day that I spoke in other tongues. I am Pentecostal. But I'm also apostolic. Apostolic refers to what the apostles preached. And I think it's very important to know, in fact, uh, uh, Paul made it very clear. He said, he said I'm not come to preach the, the, the doctrine of Paul. I've not come to preach the doctrine of Peter or James or Mark or Luke or anything like that. I've come to preach that which God has given. I've come to preach. So it's, it's not that I'm following the apostles. I'm, a following, I'm following the doctrine that God has laid out that the apostles taught. See, I think it's important that we understand that Peter and James and John and those that spoke, they walked with God, they talked with God, they communed with God, and they made it very clear they, did nev- they never wanted to deviate from His Word. And so I'm apostolic in my doctrine. This story of that, that we find in John chapter 4 is an interesting story. And there's, man, I, I even this morning, earlier, early this morning sat at my table and, and just kind of refreshing my mind and my memory on that. And even, and I can't go into detail, I wish I could, but uh, time would get away. But just the discourse that happens here is amazing. Jesus has left and he's, you know, he, he decides to go and he wants to go to Galilee. But he decided to go through Samaria. That, that going through Samaria was the quickest way to get to Galilee. 
But most people would not have done that. Most people instead would have made a longer trip and they would have skirted around Samaria because the Jews and the Samaritans didn't really like each other. He's, uh, if you go back to the Assyrian captivity, go back to the Old Testament, go back to the prophets, Assyria came and held uh, uh, them captive and brought them into captivity because of their sin. And it was during that time that there was some commingling that happened. The Jews, some of the Jews lost their identity. They, they lost, you know, they didn't have the temple. They didn't have the tabernacle to go and worship in. They're in a foreign place. And so intermarriage began to happen between the Assyrians and the Jews. And they called these, and, and I, I don't mean to, to use these words, and, and if these offend you, please forgive me. It's just the way I've been taught and the way they've been there. They called them half-breeds. They were half-Jews and half-Gentiles. And the Jews that had considered themselves to be pure-born, pure-bred, really despised those that were not. Caused a great rift in that area. And so it was that the Samaritans were not allowed access into the tabernacle. They were not allowed access into the temple. And so because of that, they said, well, we still love God, we still love Jehovah, and so they created their own temple, they created their own place, and that's where they worshipped. And you, so you had two people, two different groups of people, trying to worship God in the way that they felt was right, and they were, if you will, and I'm sure some would split hairs, but they were worshipping the same God. And so Jesus walks through, it's about noon he sits as he's tired from walking. He sits on a well called Jacob's Well. And a woman comes to draw water from the well there. And Jesus begins to speak to her. And he says, hey, would you mind giving me a drink? And this is not a, a chauvinistic uh, approach. It's not, you know, the guy just looking at the woman. But she had the right equipment to dig into that or to, to, to go into that well and pull it up she understood it wasn't an easy thing in fact some of the writings I have read says that Jacob's well was possibly at least a hundred feet deep it was no easy task to pull water up the woman said why in the world would you a Jew ask for a drink of water from me a woman of Samaria why would you even talk to me there's so many things wrong with this picture you're a Jew you're a Jewish man you're a Jewish rabbi why in the world would you ever stoop to talk to someone like me and this discourse began to go back and forth and Jesus said oh but if you knew the gift of God and if you really understood who was standing in front of you now that says give me a drink you would have asked not to give him a drink but you'd have said sir would you give me a drink of that living water the woman kind of cocks her head and looks at him and says how are you going to get how do you have living water if you're asking me to pull water up you don't even have a, a bucket you don't even have a flask you don't even have a skin to put the water in how in the world are you going to do that where'd you get that living water out of all the places around here this is where you come to get water where is the well that living water exists in are you greater than Jacob he gave us this well. He drank from it. His sons drank from it. And I can almost see the wry smile of Jesus when she asks, are you greater than Jacob? Because if you read anything about the book of Hebrews, you know that the answer is uh, yes. Yeah, I'm greater than Jacob. So he gave you a well. That's good. But I, I wish you could, you could understand what I know, and that is that this living water that I will give you is what is, he said, everyone who drinks of this water 
this water in Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. In fact, not only will it quench your thirst forever, but it will spring up inside of you a well of living water. Now, we are blessed. Hindsight 2020, right? We know what he's talking about. But man, he might as well have been talking in a foreign language to that lady. None of it made sense. How in the world could I drink? And I'm going to tell you right now, she was seeing only with her physical. You're telling me I can drink that water and never have to thirst again? I like it because I am sick and tired of coming to this well probably twice a day, putting down the rope 100 feet, pulling up a five-gallon bucket full of water because I have to have enough water for all of my homes. At my home, I have to have enough water to, to cook, to bathe, to clean, to do whatever. Remember, no running water then. So if you needed water for anything, you had to go pull it out of that well, carry it back to your house twice a day most likely. She says, are you telling me I could just drink one sip and never have to come to this well again? Jesus shakes his head and says, oh, no, that's not what I'm talking about. That's what I'm not. In fact, let me, let me spend some time talking to you, ma'am. Why don't you go get your husband? The shortest sentence in this discourse is right here because all of a sudden conviction hits. She's been arguing with him. She's been going back and forth. But now conviction hits, and in a very clipped and short and cursed manner, she hangs her head and she said, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've been married so many times. You've lost count. In fact, the one you're living with now is not your husband. And, and, and she goes, you're a prophet. She thinks he's come to read tea leaves or something to her. And then to get the, the don't talk about me. You ever talk to your kid, you're trying to get on to your kid, and they keep trying to take the conversation somewhere else? You know, that's what she did. You, you know, t tell you what, don't talk about my sin. Let's talk about this. We know that the Jews worship God over in this mountain, and, and us Samaritans, we worship God over here on this mountain, and she wants to get into a religious debate, if you will. And all of a sudden, instead of listening, she's trying to detour him around. And, and, and uh, he said, we're not going to talk about religion because religion is not ever going to save. I want to just make that real clear. It doesn't matter what religion you are. You're not going to get to heaven. And God says, are you apostolic? Or, or, or you know, are you Baptist? Are you Pentecostal? Are you apostolic? Are you Catholic? Are you Methodist? Are you Buddha? Are you Hindu? There's not going to be some express line for someone that says, I go to this church. In fact, when you get to heaven, he's not going to ask you at all what religion you are. He's going to ask some other questions that you need to be willing to answer. And this is what began to happen. Is Jesus, first off, he made it very clear that not all religion is the same. For a moment it seems very arrogant, but he, he even says, you know, you need to understand that, that salvation is from the Jews. Now that would have made her so mad. But he had a point there because he, he, he's taking you all the way back to the book of Genesis and, and the creation of Adam and Eve. And then you take Adam and Eve and you keep walking that genealogy and you keep walking. You get, you get Abraham, you get Noah, you get Moses. Now we're talking about God's chosen people he brings out. Now you get the, the tabernacle plan and you get the, the Torah and he, he keeps walking. You get all of the prophets that begin to push towards there's a Messiah coming. There's one who's coming to take away the sins of the world. You get 
get the nativity there in Bethlehem and you get the baptism there in the Jordan River and you're ultimately going to get to a cross on Calvary and an upper room experience and preaching to the Jews and then preaching to the Gentiles until the whole world hears. But it's interesting that even though he says salvation comes from the Jews, he gives this devastating statement that would have offended the Jews over here and would have offended the Samaritans over here because this is what he says. The hour is, or first off in, in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain of Samaria nor over there on that mountain of the Jews or, or even in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You're worshiping what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now I got to think about this because it's been a couple weeks ago that this verse began to flash uh, across and you know, I write little, I, I carry a little post or a, a three by five cards in my pocket and I begin to write notes on it and I begin to think about that. See, here, here's what's interesting. On this side in Jerusalem, in, that, in that, 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 that temple, they worshiped and they had the truth. They had everything they needed to see what God was doing. They had the prophets. They, they had the, the, the I mean, I, I know that nativity and, and he was born in Bethlehem and all of that was prophesied. He was, he, he was going to be seen of angels. All that was prophesied. They had the truth over in Jerusalem. But we know the story is those that had the truth were the one that crucified him. Because it's not enough just to know the truth. Because just having the truth doesn't make you a worshiper. Do you understand what they had and it was pointless? You ever looked at somebody that, that you see something they have or something that they've been blessed with and you realize it's absolutely wasted on them because they don't do anything with it? And then over here you have the Samaritans, and I am painting with a very broad brush. If you really want to delve into it, this analogy is not going to stick. So please, let me have the, 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 the leeway to paint with a very broad brush. Over here you have the Samaritans who wanted to worship Jesus, but this group over there says, we have the truth and we don't want you coming near us. And so they said, well, we're not going to let that stop us from worshiping him. So they built their own temple. They did their very best. If you will, and again, very broad brush, over here they had the passion. Over here they had the desire. Over here they had the hunger. But they did not have the truth. And the Lord says, it's not over here alone. And it's not over here alone. But there will be a day. In fact, he said the day is now where the truth and the passion are going to begin to merge. And you will worship him and spirit and in truth. No longer is worship going to be limited to the Jews. No longer is worship going to be limited to those who have passion. It ties with what John said in the book of John chapter 2 around verse 19. He makes this statement. Jesus said, I'm going to destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews, they, it kind of messed with them. They said, uh, it took 46 years to build this temple. How are you going to build it up in three years see they were just thinking physical 
when you begin to read the Bible, you can look in, in Acts chapter 7. You can look in John several times. But the Gospels clearly begin to say that there was going to be a new sacrifice. There was going to be a new temple. There was going to be a new birth. There was going to be a new water. There was a thing coming that was going to bring the truth and the passion together. And there in that upper room experience, Acts chapter 2 It says that when they were there and they were all there in one accord in one place, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house where they were sitting and those that had walked in the truth were now walking in the Spirit. But then later on with Cornelius, you find that God brought the Spirit to those who may not have had the whole truth, but they had the hunger. And God begins to say that if you want to worship me, if you want to love me, if you want to have that, you've got to worship me in spirit and you've got to worship me in truth. I worship him in that truth. Can I tell you that that? While I am saying, he says, worship in spirit and truth, you are always better to start with truth. I'm thankful for those who don't know the truth that come into it, but I'm telling you today, you're always better starting with the truth. It's why I have made it my passion. I have made it my life's goal that when I step behind the pulpit, when I'm teaching anybody, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to speak the truth and the truth only. Kind of like when you go to the court of law and they tell you to put your hand on the Bible. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? That is not just for the court of law, but it better be for each and every one of us. I don't have any desire to get outside His truth. I don't have any desire to get outside His word. I don't have any desire to go anywhere else. I want to preach what the apostles preached. I want to preach what they did in the book of Acts. I want to be distinctly apostolic. I love when I begin to look. I, I want to I preach what they preached. I want to preach that he is one God. You say, why does that matter? Well, it matters because God said it matters. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And I'm here today to tell you that you cannot love anything with all your heart, soul, and might unless you know them. Mark said this, this is Jesus' words in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 12. The first of the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. You say, well, Brother Buford, why is that so important? Well, Paul told us why it's important. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 5, And though there be many gods, whether in heaven and earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom there are all things, and we are in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we are by him. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said that there is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. There's just one Lord. There's just one faith. There's just one baptism. One God, the Father of all, who is above all, through all, and because of Acts, now in you all. They preach that. It's important to know who you're following. It's important to know who you're, 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 you're traveling after because if you begin to look into the end of the book uh, or in, the end of the New Testament, 
you find that there are copious amounts of warnings that says beware of those who are going to come and pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I, Paul said, or any other angel preaches any other thing than this, let him be accursed. And we live today, and it, it astounds me that, that in this day and age that we are right now, how much the truth matters. I never dreamed, never dreamed, I know there's a lot of sin in this world, but I never dreamed there would be a day that there would be a deacon in a church appointed that no longer uses the pronoun he or she, but uses the pronoun they because they consider themselves no gender at all. And as an aside, just, just let me tell you what I felt when I, when I read that article in, in one of the newsletters I got. When I read that article, the, the, the person said that, that they, they, they wanted to be called they so that they didn't respond to any gender. And instantly, my mind went to the story of the demonic of Gadara. When he came into Jesus, he said, we are legion. I never dreamed we'd have a day like that. I never dreamed we'd have a day where, where, where God becomes just a concept and, and, and anything can be a God. It's important you know who you're talking about. I want to worship Him in truth. I don't want to just worship some cosmic spirit out there. I don't want to worship some great white thing out there. I want to be able to stand in His presence and say you are God of heaven and earth. The one that created all things. You're the God that loved me enough that you came to earth and you became flesh so that blood could be spilled on Calvary. You are God alone. Do you understand how much deeper that makes your worship? Paul said when he went up there on Mars Hill, he said, Here, here's a, 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 an idol, and you even have an inscription. It says, to the unknown God. You, you worship this. You don't even know who you're worshiping, but you're so afraid you're going to miss some God that you, you, you say, well, here's my backup plan. If I get to the eternity and some God I didn't know says, hey, what about me? I'll say, well, remember that idol up there on Mars Hill? We said, this is just in case. Paul said, let me explain this to you. And Paul preached an incredible message. One God. One God who is above all, through all, and now the most beautiful thing in the world is he is in us because no longer does he dwell in tabernacle made by man's hands, but now this God of heaven dwells in a tabernacle of a human body. He said, I want to live in you. I want to I want to worship him in the truth and the beauty of his salvation. I want to worship him knowing that I'm following what he himself said when he said you have to be born of the water and of the spirit. And if you're not born of the water and of the spirit, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. I want to be able to stand in his presence and worship saying, I've done that. Peter clarified it for you and I. He said, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men, 
And brethren, what must we do then? Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I want to worship Him knowing I've repented of my sins. I want to worship Him knowing I've been down in the water in Jesus' name, the name above all other names. I want to worship Him knowing... I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to worship Him in truth. I want to worship Him because I've been changed. When you look at the Bible, when you look through the Word of God, we have been changed. See, this is the beauty of salvation. I find it really hard to talk to people who claim salvation with no change. That's like saying, I put on clean clothes, and they've never been in the washer. I have a boy. He doesn't do it now. He's a teenager, and he likes to look nice. But boys don't always understand that. Boys can put on the same clothes that they have worn for days at a time and ask this question, what's wrong with it? Dude, your pants are standing up by themselves. Why in the world would I ever want to worship a God that somehow saved me, but I'm still the dirty, rotten, ignorant sinner that I was? But oh, what a change he made in my life. And what a change he's still making in my life, which is why I can tell you that's why the disciples and the apostles preached separation. The old man and the old nature is done away with and we walk. Watch this. If you've been saved, you got to walk in newness of life. you got to have a new mind. you got to have a new heart. you got to have a new desire. For 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If somebody looks at me and says, why don't you do those things anymore? Why don't you talk like that? Why don't you dress like that anymore? Why don't you go there? It's not because uh, it, some, some, you know, my mama made me do it. It's not because my church makes me do it. But it's I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I know y'all don't like southern gospel the way I like southern gospel music. But there's an awesome song. It's a, it's a story. My wife's laughing because, see, when I, I've had the privilege of, you know, driving the vans with some young people. My rule is if I'm driving, it's my music. So I force them to listen to a little Earl Scruggs and, you know, a little, uh, little banjo and a little, little bluegrass until they start throwing peanuts at me and then I, I stop. But, but there, there's a song, and I know it's a story song, meaning it's not true. But the Gaither Vocal Band, they sing the song, they baptized Jesse Taylor. And what it simply is is just kind of a little story that represents this, that, that he used to do this, he used to be that, he used to talk like that, he used to walk like that, his family was in shambles, but there's something about being a new creature in Christ Jesus. First Peter 1.15, but as he that hath called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conversation. It's written, be holy, for I am holy. So yes, I am a little bit different now. I don't walk that way anymore. I don't talk that way anymore. Because God has saved me. Paul made this, this, this kind of 
or not ironic, but you know, one of those questions that you ask and you know the answer to. What shall we say? Talking about you've already been saved. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God, the, the King James says, God forbid. Buford's translation of that is, are you an idiot? Are you an idiot? So yes, I'm so thankful for the prodigal grace, the lavish grace of God. And I'm thankful that he stepped into this old broken life and he saved me. But are you an idiot to think you can keep doing what you've done and he's going to just always bail you out? No, because of that, I will say this, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? I am different. I have been changed. Colossians 3 says, If you've been risen with Christ, seek these things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not things here on earth. You could go, I don't, I'm running out of time. You could go read through all of that. It tells you, put this, put away the lion, put away the malice, put away the anger, the wrath, the blasphemy, the filthy communication out of your mouth. Do all of that and put on the new man. Why? Because you're different. I think it's Peter that said it this way. You're a peculiar people. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're not just the same old person that walked down the road, but God Almighty has put his hand on your life. I'm just trying to help you. I know I'm preaching a broad range. I'm reaching all over the place. But what I'm trying to tell you is it's good to worship him in truth. Worship him in the same mission that these disciples worshipped him. That mission that said you're not saved just to be saved, but you're saved so you could tell somebody else about it. Go ye into all the world and reach them and preach the gospel. Go make disciples. Go be that. Go do that. I want to worship him in truth. But the truth is not enough. If you're not careful... You stand where the Jews stood and they can quote all the scripture and they could quote all the prophecies but it never changed them. Somewhere there is a hunger that is inherently in every person, Jew or Gentile, barbaric or not barbaric. It doesn't matter. But somewhere there is a, a, a hunger in them that says, I may not even know the truth. I may not even be able to quote one verse at all, but I'm hungry for something out there. And so they begin to pray and they begin to seek. And God says, I will never let a hungry person go without an infilling. Not only that, he said, and the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you into all truth. So see, if you want to worship him, you got to worship him and you got to be Pentecostal. you got to have that experience. I don't care what you put on the church sign. I don't care what membership you sign. But when you get to heaven, you better be able to stand there in front of that white throne of judgment and say, I received your spirit. I got it. I got it. I got it. And you know what he's going to say? I gave that to you for a purpose. 
because I was going to lead and guide you into all truth. And suddenly I've watched it happen far too many times. I've watched people that thought they knew the word of God. But as soon as that spirit begins to be active in their life, they begin to read the Bible and it begins to come alive. And they say, oh, now I understand it. Now I've got it. And you got to worship him in spirit and in truth. Won't you stand with me today? Maybe it's more teaching than preaching this morning. But i got to ask you two questions. Are you worshiping him in your spirit? I know I'm pretty confident. I know just about everyone that's walked into church today. I think I can go out on a limb and say pretty much all of you, you're walking in his spirit. That's good. So I ask you this question. Now are you worshiping him in truth? But if for some reason you're standing here on this corner where you have a knowledge of God but no experience, that needs to change. Perhaps I could bring it all together by saying this. You have to have a knowledge of God and you have to have an experience of God. One with